Well, if you are married or have been in relationship for any length of time at all, you know that the fairy tale, the, the fairy tale picture, the honeymoon doesn't last forever, does it? Even the best relationships get tested. They go through seasons that are just hard. Sometimes uh, there's seasons where emotions may tell you that this is just too much work. It's not worth it. Just dump him. Just dump her and move on. There are times when we hurt each other significantly, where trust gets broken. There are times when, uh, when conflict is just seems to be ever-present, times when we feel betrayed or abandoned, and we are in need of a comeback. We're on week number three of a series that we've been doing here at Ignite called The Comeback, right? You're never too far, and it's never too late. And this series is all about hope, the hope that God can turn things around in any life, in any relationship, in any situation. He's the God of the comeback, we've been saying. He's the God that specializes in bringing dead things to life. There's no problem too big. There's no habit that's too dark. There's no person that's too far. And it's never too late for God to bust in and redeem and restore and forgive and to turn a life around. He does it all the time, and he wants to do it in you. Today, uh, we're going to kind of focus in on a comeback in our relationships, in our marriages, in our uh, kind of romantic uh, uh, relationships with other people. And I have to say, as I was prepping the message this week, I uh, deduced and concluded that this is an impossible message to preach. And let me tell you why. It's because uh, people are coming from so many different uh, spots, right? I mean, there are some people uh, that that have been married forever and things are going great. There are some people that are not married and maybe don't want to be married. There are some that uh, are anywhere in between. And to preach one message that connects with everybody is a tough thing to do. And uh, as well, I was just thinking, I mean, even to have a good and healthy and godly and growing marriage or relationship requires how many people? Okay. It's church, but you can say the obvious. It's kind of a rhetorical question, but how many? Two, right? right? Two people. How many can you control? Maybe, right? Maybe one, right? Maybe we can control ourselves in the situation. And so that opens up a whole new kind of level of activities. Maybe you're in a marriage or in a relationship right now, and man, things are not going very well from your perspective, but you are ready, right? You're ready to, to kind of turn the corner. To, to turn the corner. You're ready for a comeback of some sort, but it could be that your spouse or your significant other isn't. And so that opens up a whole new thing issues. Or maybe, to be honest, if you're really honest, maybe your spouse is ready to do whatever it takes for your marriage to flourish or for your relationship to flourish. But you're the one that's kind of dragging your feet. Maybe you're here and somebody else has wounded you deeply. And uh, maybe they've walked out. Maybe they've done or said some things that just are almost irreparable. And you're not sure what to do. And so today, I'm going to attempt to kind of focus in uh, on a path that I think will have application to all of us, a path, uh, uh, it's not going to be about how you can control or convince your spouse to change. It's not about any of that kind of stuff. It's really a, a, a message and a really a word to all of us about the only, the only person that we can do anything with, and that's us, and what kind of how we can set ourselves up to experience a comeback in the relationships in our lives. And I tell you, these principles that we're going to be learning from and talking about 
about today are applicable in marriage. They're applicable in friendships. They're applicable if you're dating. They're applicable to basically any person we have relationship with. It's really about learning to love and learning uh, to become who God has made us to be. And so that's kind of where we're going. Uh, I think there'll be great stuff in store for all of us. And so kind of stick with me as we go. We good? With me? All right. This morning, I want to zero in on a passage. It comes from Colossians 3. Has tons of stuff to say about healthy relationships, healthy marriages, if you go on after, kind of later in the chapter. Um, And so we're just going to kind of walk through it and learn uh, some lessons. We're going to look at kind of four things we're going to zero in on today about how to set our lives up for relational comebacks to kind of bring us back around to flourishing relationships in our lives. We're going to start with Colossians chapter 3, verse 1. If you've got your Bibles, you can open them up. If you've got the Ignite Church app on your phone, you can click on message notes. It's got the scriptures in there. It's got the the notes and everything else. You can follow along there as well, or or we'll put put them up on the screen. So here's where we're starting. Colossians 3, starting with verse 1. It says, Since then, you have been raised with Christ Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. The first thing I kind of want to zero in on this morning is that relational comebacks, the best kind, the lasting kind of relational comebacks begin with spiritual comebacks, right? He starts out this whole passage. He's going to get to to relationships with kids and with spouses and all these kinds of things later. But at the very beginning of the passage, he, he intentionally steps back and says, look, Just remember who you are. Remember that you were dead because of your sin. Remember you lived your life, your first, you know, decade or two or three or four or however many you you lived your, those first days of your lives you lived for you. And and because of that, your relationships were dying. Your heart was dying. Spiritually, you were dying apart from God. You were you were walking away, and distance was being created. He says, but but at that moment, right, God broke in, and because of Jesus, for those that have put our trust in Him, He says, you know what? Christ has raised you from the dead. He has brought you back to life. And this is where all the good stuff comes from. He says, you were dead, but because, but Jesus stepped in, he resurrected you, he brought you back to life. He orchestrated a comeback in your life. It's what God does. It's who he is. He's the God of the resurrection. He rose and now he brings resurrection to us, to those who put their faith and trust in Christ He's the one that brought you back to life. He forgave you. He remade you. He gave you another chance. He loves you so much, man. He he thought you were worth dying for. He died so that you could live. He took our sins upon him so that we could be free. Paul here is the writer. He's starting out just saying, you know, with Jesus, this is where all the good stuff is at. This is where the lasting stuff of life comes from. And so, so he says, set your minds and set your hearts on him, on things above where Christ is seated. Set your eyes, fix your hearts on him. Let him teach you about how relationships were meant to be. And I spent the first 18 years of my life without Christ, kind of going my own, my own way. I'll tell you that the truth of the matter is I didn't really know much about love. I certainly didn't know anything about forgiveness. I didn't really understand peace. Uh, there was so much, so much that I didn't get. I didn't get about serving others. I didn't get about sacrificially loving, giving, uh, that kind of stuff. But what I was really good at was me. 
I was really good at doing what I wanted to do. I was, my, my kind of picture and my, my hope for life is that everybody would get on board with that vision. If you've ever seen the, <laughs> the movie Emperor's New Groove, if you guys ever seen that, it's kind of cartoon movie. Come on, it's a fun one. But there's this, uh, there's this whole scene where uh, he's, he tells uh, Pasha, the king, the emperor, tells uh, one of his subjects that he's going to basically wipe out his new house or his, his house that his family has lived in for generations so that he can build a new um, kind of birthday present to himself with a swimming pool and all this kind of stuff. And he says, come on, you, nobody's that heartless. You can't be so self-absorbed that, that you really think that's okay. And he's like, yeah. The emperor says, yeah. Well, Everybody else in the kingdom sort of okay with that. You know, what's the problem with you? Hey, Pacha. Right? I mean, it's kind of his, this whole thing. Right? He's, he's kind of like, man, I'm living my life for me, and my world would be great. My relationships would be awesome if everybody else could just get on board with that. And I think sometimes we live that way, don't we? I mean, we wouldn't necessarily say that, but man, that's, that is certainly what the first 18 years of my life looked like. It's like, man, let's, let's live life for me. I'm going to do what is best for me. I want everybody else to kind of serve and get on board with me, right, kind of thing. If that's what happened, it would be great. And then Christ bust into my life. And for the first time, I have to say, I started understanding something called grace. I started understanding forgiveness. I started understanding a kind of love that I didn't deserve, a kind of love that was steadfast and unchanging, a kind of love that would sacrifice himself for me. And it was like the lights went on for the first time and I stepped into a a better world. I stepped into better relationships and I came to life. I think the truth be told, there's probably some of us here today that feel like things aren't going right in our relational worlds and we're thinking, oh yeah, I need a comeback in my marriage, comeback in my relationship. But really what we mean, really what we're, we're talking about is we're like, we need our spouses or our significant others, our girlfriends, boyfriends, friends, whatever. We, need, we want them to get on board with me and what I want and serving me and giving me my way and making my life easier and more pleasurable. And I have to say, for those that we, again, we wouldn't necessarily overtly say that, but we live that way. I've lived that way. I lived that way in the past, and, and it, that thing rears its ugly head from time to time, right, throughout my day. And I think for those of us that in, in this room that, that can identify that and say, you know what, I think if I'm honest, I think there's some truth in that for me. I think God would speak to us today and say, you know what, before you can really get the kind of relational comeback, the relational turnaround that we long for in our lives and in our hearts, first we need a spiritual comeback. We need a breakthrough in our own souls. We need to learn to love the way Christ has loved us and gave himself for us. We need to learn to serve and to make our lives about others and learning to love them rather than demanding and desiring everybody just to give, 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 give to me. The best kind of relational comebacks begin with spiritual comebacks. When, we're on, when, we're, when it's all about us, that path, Paul reminds us at the beginning of, of Colossians 3 here, he says, you know what, that just led to death. 
but Christ has scooped down. He has raised you to life. He has given his life because he loves you so much. He has given his life for you. He's paid for your sins and now he raises you up from the dead and he is entering you into a new and better life. He says, therefore, would you fix your eyes? Would you fix your hearts on Christ? Would you let him lead you? Would you let him teach you how relationships, how life, how love is meant to be because there is something better. There's something more. I ran across a study um, a number of years ago. It was done by Harvard uh, University. I thought this was fascinating. They studied um, couples that had an active relationship with God. And they said, you know, I wonder, and, and they're not just talking about just going to church and just playing, you know, playing the church game and going, doing, you know, put, sitting your butt in the pew for an hour and then going home and living however you want. They're like, no, what, what does it look like for people that are actually following Jesus where Christ is really at the center of their relationship? They're like, I wonder what the divorce rate is like. And so they studied hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of couples. And they, they kind of used three criteria to define, to, to define the parameters of the study. They said, what if we take um, couples that pray together on a regular basis, like throughout their week, they pray together. What if we take couples, number two, that read the Bible together? And then the third one is that actually come to church and worship together on a weekly or on a very regular basis. And so that, that was their three criteria. And they said, I wonder what the divorce rate is for that. Anybody, don't, don't put up the slide yet. Anybody want to take a guess at what the divorce rate is for couples where God is at the center, where they're trying to live Christ-centered lives towards one another? Anybody want to take a guess? It's not zero, but it's about as close as you can get. Look at this. It's one in 1,287. It's a 0.077% divorce rate. And what's the uh, divorce rate in our country on average right now? 50%. Peoria County, as in in 2011, it was 55%. So that's basically saying, uh, you know, one in two. Uh, people that, you know, you know, marriages get divorced, right, kind of thing. One, one out of every two people that get married uh, get divorced. The divorce rate uh, with Christ at the center, 0.077%, one in 1,287. Is that jaw-dropping? Let me ask the question, do you think that relationships with Christ at the center are better? Do you think there's a difference? Do you think God makes a difference in our relationships? What do you think? It's not a rocket science, is it? Yeah. I mean, you can see it. Even statistics, even the studies show it, right? There's something better. You don't know why? Because that's the way we're meant to live. We are made to live in right relationship with God, to love the Lord our God with all of our heart and soul and mind and strength, and to love others as we love ourselves. So Jesus says, he says, that's the main thing, right? It's how we're meant to live. Relationships just work better with God at the center. So that's the first one. Like if, if before we even get into, hey, how can I have a relational comeback? How can, how can I experience a comeback in my marriage? How can, I, how can I have my relationships flourish in my life? Before we get there, Paul reminds us, God reminds us, he says, step back a little bit and just remember that you have been raised with Christ. All the good stuff in life comes from this. You've been raised with Christ, so therefore set your heart, set your lives, set your eyes, even set your relationships on, around Jesus because that is how life works best. Relational comebacks begin with spiritual comebacks. Let's go on, uh, verse five uh, 
says this, Colossians 3, 5 through 12 says this, put to death therefore whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Again, keep God first and cut that other stuff out. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life that you once lived. Like he's saying, you used to live that way when you were living for yourself. He says, but now let me show you how you are meant to live. He goes on and says this, but now you must also rid yourself of all such things as these anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Don't lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self which is being renewed in the knowledge and in the image of its creator. That's the second thing we're gonna just zero in on. I think it's fascinating, I kind of underlined it there, but there's this whole section that, that, uh, that Paul's talking about. It says, now, okay, Put Christ first, right? Keep, keep your eyes and your hearts and your lives fixed on Christ. That's the first step to, to experience the kind of relationships that you're meant to. And then he's like, and then, and then I've got some instructions I, wa- I, wanna, I wanna tell you and I wanna point out to you. Don't, don't live the way you used to, he says. But here's, here's the next thing he says. Watch your words, <laughs> right? Watch your words. He's talking about don't lie, he says. Don't, don't curse, don't call each other names. Don't let anger and rage infect your relationship. Relationships. Don't slander one another. Those things cut. Those things destroy. Those things do damage to your relationships. I saw another uh, study. I, you wouldn't believe the number of studies I read through this week, but another study that, that surveyed hundreds of couples. Uh, they were looking for, um, uh, over, over a long period of time, they were looking at which relationships, which marriages survived and which marriages ended up in divorce. And then they were kind of comparing them and looking for what's, what are the common denominators? What are the factors that are involved in those kinds of things? And uh, they studied all kinds of things, but, but really uh, they zeroed in on the words uh, that, that couples speak to each other. And what they found was those couples that would eventually end up in divorce their, their words were fundamentally different than the words of those that made it. Those that ended in divorce criticized and tore down one another twice, two times more than those that, that survived. 10 out of every 100 comments were insults or put downs towards each other. The couples that say, stayed together criticized less, uh, criticized less and expressed love and appreciation more. It's really crazy, but I have to say, there's power in our words, is there not? The words that come out of our mouth, they have the power to build up and they have the power to, to tear down. And in our relationships, this is huge, isn't it? What we say, we... It could be that what we say and what we feel are very different things, but people tend to believe what they hear. People tend to believe what the things that get said to them, don't they? Especially if it lines up with our actions. That's where there's most power. Listen to a couple of these Proverbs. I've shared these before, but these always catch my attention when we're uh, talking about this kind of thing. It says, the tongue has the power of life and death. Those, uh, and those who love it will eat of its fruit. Proverbs 12, 18 puts it this way. The words of the reckless pierce like a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. That crazy? They can either cut like a sword or they can bring healing. Isn't that true? Anybody, can anybody think of words that have been spoken to you that have cut you like a sword? 
mean, I think we all can probably in, at one time or another. Words are powerful. They have the power to build up or the power to tear down. They have the power to pierce, to cut, to destroy, or to bring healing and life. To even raise people's eyes to Christ. That's why God says here, man, watch your words. Be careful of what you say. When you say words in anger, when you lie, when you curse, when you slander, you are tearing down and eroding the very fabric of your relationships. You are destroying, you're cutting, you're doing damage. Friends, if you and I want to experience comebacks in our relationships, we've got to learn to watch our words. Be intentional. Learn to build up and not destroy. I mean, there's some of us here that the truth be told, we hear things come out of our mouths on a regular basis and we do tremendous damage. We even shock ourselves at some of the, some of the things we say. Some of us are uh, in our marriages, with our kids, with our friends, whatever. We are so critical and sharp that we are doing damage. It's like taking a sword out and slicing and dicing the people that we love most. And it could be that God is speaking today and saying, you know what? Whatever relationship you have, maybe it's time that you go home today or you go over to their house or whatever and you sit down with them and you say, I'm so sorry. I should have been building you up. I should have been expressing love to you and appreciation and showing value. You're the most important person in my life. But instead, I have been tearing you down. Would you forgive me? Maybe that's what God's speaking to you today. Maybe we need to actually uh, just practice some discipline. I was reminded this week, there are some things that are just off limits to say to other people. There's, there's a filter that's meant to be active in our brain, right? Just because a word or you know, an idea, a thought pops in your head does not mean you have to say it. There are some comments, some things that even if you're angry, even if the other person is being a total butt, right? <laughs> even if they're saying mean things and being rude, there are some things that are just off limits because they will do so much damage. They will tear down, they will cut. And if we continue doing them, we are destroying the most important relationships in our lives. Things like I'm leaving Things like, I wish I never married you. Things like, I hate you. Things like, well, maybe I should just go have an affair. Those kinds, you'd be amazed at how often I hear those kinds of things that have been spoken to one another. And part of me is just grieved. I'm saying, man, there's some things you just don't say. Set some boundaries. You say, I don't care how mad I am. I'm not saying that. Words have the power to destroy or to build up and to bring healing in life. Maybe we need to go home today and we need to speak some life-giving, intentional, value-producing words to those that we love most, saying, you know what, I don't tell you often enough, but I so appreciate you for this. You are amazing at this. I love how God has made you to be like this. Words, the tongue has the power of life, and death. If we're going to experience a comeback in our relationships, friends, it starts, right, first and foremost, 
with, uh, with a spiritual comeback. But then the second thing is he says, watch your words. I've got another proverb up there as well. Right? A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. And that is true in relationship, isn't it? You can either power up. Somebody's getting angry and you can either match them or go higher or go high, you know, kind of power up. Or you can speak a gentle, you know, a gentle response. And it takes the power straight out of it. All right, let's go on. Uh, third one. I just called it this. Commit to compassion. Colossians 3, 12 and 14 says this, therefore as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, listen to this, clothe yourself, put on, put on around you, clothe yourself with compassion, with kindness, with humility, with gentleness and patience. And then going on to verse 14, he says this, and over all of these virtues, put on love, which binds them together in perfect unity. I was thinking this week, there's just, we don't really have neutral interactions at one point. There's a, a book that I have couples read sometimes called His Needs, Her Needs, based on 25 years of research. It's a great book. Um, but uh, he makes the case in there that we are, there are never neutral inter- interactions between couples, uh, between husbands and wives, between boyfriends and girlfriends. You're either always making a deposit or you're making a withdrawal, right, in one way or another. By the words we say, by the way we say it, by the... Right, uh, whatever, by the, the circumstances, the content, the tone, the whatever, uh, we are either saying, saying in a way, I trust you and I love you and I value, or even if our words say those things, our body language may be saying exactly the opposite, right? I don't value, I don't trust you, I don't think you know what you're talking about, I don't, you're not important to me, you're not a value to me. He says you're always building one or the other. You're either making deposits or you are making withdrawals. And there are some of us here that have relationships that are in the red, right? That we've made withdrawal after withdrawal after withdrawal. Some of those things that uh, we've just talked about, right, are major withdrawals. Things like lying, like slander, like anger or rage, things like sexual immorality, which Paul talks about at the beginning of that passage. These are like, you know, going to sleep with somebody that's not your spouse. He's saying these are things are destructive. They're like major withdrawals. They do damage to relationships, some of, some of which could be uh, even irreparable. That's why God says, don't walk in those ways. You spent years of your life living for yourself, living and doing whatever it was that you wanted to do. He says, but not now. Now let me show you. No, remember as you set your eyes on and your heart on Christ, let me teach you and fill you and show you how to love someone else, how to live in life-giving relationships how to serve and value and build up others. Let me teach you about making deposits. And then, uh, you know, then he goes on and, and talks about how these are ways that you can build up or add value or, or whatever in your relationships with others. These are all deposit kinds of things. He says, clothe yourself with compassion. Clothe yourself with compassion. Be, be affectionate and tender and caring towards others. Or be compassionate towards those that are around you. Clothe yourself with kindness towards others, with humility, thinking more about Christ and others than you do about yourself, with gentleness and patience towards others. Clothe yourself with love. Can I just ask, think about the most important relationship with another person that you have on this planet right now. And let me just read that, those words again and say, would, 
Would you say that this is what characterizes your life? Would you say that you have clothed yourself in comp- with compassion? And so when you are talking to them and speaking to them on a regular basis, they are experiencing somebody that cares deeply, that is engaged, that is with them, that is compassionate towards them. Would you say that you're characterized by kindness, with humility, with gentleness, with patience, and with a sacrificial love like Christ? I tell you what, I uh, was listening to a message this week by a guy by the name of Andy Stanley. Some of you might know him, and he kind of rung my bell on some of this uh, kind of stuff. He was he was kind of digging apart um, a couple of uh, a couple of lines of the First Corinthians thirteen passage, which is like kind of the stereotypical wedding passage, right? The whole love is patient, love is kind, it does not end, right? That that kind of whole thing. He zeroed in uh, uh, at the end and was using kind of an older translation, but he was talking about the the part that says love does not assume the worst but believes the best. That's kind of what he was zeroing in on. It's, the, it's the, the love always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. And so he kept kind of coming back to this. It, love does not assume the worst, but it believes the best. And he cites another study uh, that I'm just going to share with you. Like I said, it kind of rung my bell, thought I'd share it with you. And they were studying successful relationships. The stats would, are, are pretty glim uh, for those, you know, in our culture, 50%, we know the number, right? 50% of all marriages end in divorce. Uh, those that would say that they're uh, happy with one another and not just coexisting is in the teens of percentages. I mean, it's a very small relative number of of, uh, the marriages that are out there. And so they started searching after what is it in these marriages and in these relationships that caused them to flourish, that they could be more and more and more in love 10 years or 15 years or 20 years even more in love than they were in the first year or they, than they were when they were courting. And so they started looking and following, they followed these uh, people for decades and, and looked for that one common denominator, that one thing that made them happy. And here's what they found. They found that couples that survived and had sort of thriving marriages had almost rose-colored glasses, they said, towards one another. They tended to believe the best about the other person. They would survey these couples and they would have, for instance, the man do a survey and he would evaluate himself on how are you doing at loving your wife? How are you doing it? Helping out with the chores around the house? How are you doing with all, the, all these different kinds of things? And he would rate himself. And then they would give uh, his, his wife, his spouse, uh, the same survey and say, okay, how, how do you think he's doing? And, and the spouse would tend to rate the other one higher than they rated themselves and vice versa. The couples that survived and thrived, those that that would uh, consider themselves happily married, very happily married, and successful, quote, quote, in in marriage, they said had almost rose-colored glasses. They tend to believe better about their spouse than even their spouse believed about themselves. Isn't that interesting? They also found statistically one of, the, one of the keys to having a happy marriage is this fundamental humility and understanding and belief that the other person has great strengths that I don't have. They have contributions to make that I need and we need in order to thrive in our relationship. They said if you believe that, the study found you will likely have a good and a great marriage. The researchers advice, they kind of summed this up at the end and they said this, uh, here's kind of one of the lessons to be learned. They said, find the most generous explanation for each other's behavior and then believe it. And they gave some examples. They said, here's a couple of examples. She's not impatient. She's just intense. <laughs> I said, like, if you look at, look at the, look for the positive, right? He's not insensitive. 
He's just focused, right? And so they said, man, if you can learn to look at each other and, and sort of see the value, see the positives instead of the negatives, they said, you are statistically, statistically, you're going to have a happy marriage. You're going to have a great marriage. They're saying exactly what we're talking about. Believing the best. Clothe yourself with love and compassion and humility and patience and kindness towards one another. It's a fundamentally different way to do relationships. I tell you, I was, I was listening uh, to this message this week and it was, it was kind of, like I said, God kind of rang my bell on this deal partially uh, because I have two teenage daughters that live in my house and it is easy as a dad, it's easy as a man to get frustrated and not to believe the best, right? To sort of start dogging them about all the things that they're doing wrong and all the things that are, that are happening. And uh, I just, it was a great moment for me where God was just speaking and saying, you know what? I mean, as parents, we kind of have to have, we kind of have to do that a little bit, right? right? But as, as, as a man and as a husband and as a dad, it was just kind of a moment where God was speaking. I was like, you know, that's who I want to be. I want to be for my kids. I want to be for my wife. I can be critical. I can be cynical. I can tear and nitpick and tear down. And yet I want to be an encourager. I want to be the one that's, that believes and that speaks life into them. Right? I want to I wanna have a heart that's filled with compassion. I want to have eyes and a heart that is humble and that sees value and things in them that I don't have that I need. You know what I'm saying? Like there's something good and healthy and right about learning to see our spouses, learning to do relationships with those kinds of eyes because that's how we're made to live. Because there's some things that, that Tina or my girls are better at than I am and I can learn from and vice versa, right? Because I don't have all the answers because I don't know everything. Just moving that to a heart of compassion. And that's one of, the, one of the keys, God says, to having great relationships. Instead of being self-absorbed, instead of having my eyes and our eyes always on us, instead of having our lives be about me, instead of assuming that I know all that there is to know, that my way is always right and that my needs are supreme, it's really about learning to make deposits in the relational accounts of others, learning to love them, putting others' needs above my own, being compassionate and understanding and valuing towards our spouses, towards our significant others, towards our relationships. You need to come back, commit to compassion. And the the fourth one is this. Just hit it briefly, uh, but be faithful to forgive. Colossians 3, verse 13, we kind of skipped over it a second ago, but we're coming back now. It says, bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. How has the Lord forgiven us if we are in Christ? How has he forgiven us? Completely, right? Has, has he had to forgive us more than once? More than twice? More than three times? Again and again and again and again, right? He has forgiven us sacrificially. He's, he has forgiven us uh, fully and over and over and over. He no longer holds our sins against us, but has removed them from us, the Bible says, as far as the east is from the west. He has buried them in the deep parts of the sea, right? They are are gone. We are completely forgiven. 
Friends, the truth of the matter is all of us will be hurt by, by our husbands, by our wives, by our boyfriends, by our girlfriends, by our friends' friends, by whoever. And the grass is no greener on anybody else's side of the fence. It's just part of living in a sin-filled world with sinful people like you and like me. Sometimes we sin on each other. Sometimes we hurt one another. Sometimes intentionally, sometimes not intentionally. But that is the world that we live in. And in order to be fully able to work through conflict, to be able to survive and thrive in relationships, we've got to learn to be able to to forgive and to put our sins and the sins of others behind us. We've got to quit keeping score. We've got to be able to ask for and receive forgiveness and then leave it in the past. Otherwise, it will just consume us and make us harder and harder and harder. It will stifle our relationships. It will kill our marriages and keep us from growing. I was a communications major in college. I think I shared this one time before, but there's my favorite communications theory because I think it's graphic and it just uh, describes real life is something called broom closet, broom closeting, they call it. It's a theory of communication that says undealt with uh, conflict and junk in relationships is sort of like a broom closet. If we don't deal with it, it's sort of like you open it up and you say, well, I'm really mad because, because he left his dirty socks on the floor again. So you open it up and you throw that in the broom closet, you slam the door real quick, Right? Not really that big a deal. It's not, not that big a thing. But if you keep doing that over and over, right, you, you get angry, it's unresolved, you keep throwing stuff in the broom closet. He said, sooner or later, some little tiny thing happens, right? Oh man, they didn't wash the dishes and they said they were gonna wash the dishes. And all of a sudden you open up the broom closet and everything from like the last 10 years falls out on top of you, right? They're like, it's gonna kill you, it's gonna take you out. It's, it's why couples can have fights and and over some little thing and all of a sudden everything you've done wrong for the last three decades comes out and you're like, what was that? I thought this was about leaving my sock on the floor, right? No, it's all of a sudden, it's about this huge kind of thing. Why? Because we have been unable to resolve, to let go, to bring forgiveness, to give and receive forgiveness and leave the past in the past. We've been unable to bring grace into our relationships. And I'll tell you what, this, this might be, other than putting Christ at the center, this might be the most important and, and significant bit of wisdom in this passage. Forgive as the Lord has forgiven you. Oh, how our relationships need that, don't they? I come from a, a home where we didn't really do this. We didn't really resolve conflict. We got, we kind of didn't say anything and let it build up. And then it, we had kind of like explosive moments. And then it was out there and all kinds of ugly and hurtful things got said and damage was done and whatever else. And then we never talked about it again, right? <laughs> like, then you just sort of did the silent treatment for a few days and then you just pretended like it never happened. But as a result, stuff never got dealt with. It just kind of bitterness kind of festered and anger kind of festered and, and, and some of that kind of stuff. And so I, I became... I'm a Christ follower in college, and I started experiencing and, and, and living in God's grace and understanding his mercy and his forgiveness, and I knew that was something that I wanted to be at the center of all of my relationships and certainly at the center of my marriage. So that's always been a part of Tina and my marriage from day one. I can remember the first fight that we had, uh, and I was all mad and rah, 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 that kind of thing, and yet, uh, and yet, it was kind of going on and on and there was a little bit of a pause and I was like, you know what, that's not who I, I don't want to just live with that. I don't want to just leave this out there. And uh, I can remember saying, uh, it was the first time in our marriage, we've been married a very short period of time. And I can remember saying, I'm sorry. And Tina said, I forgive you. 
and then she left it. It was the first time I'd ever heard that word in the past. There was something freeing about it. She was saying, you know, I, I give up the right to hold this against you. I give up the right to bring this up. It is done. I forgive you. And she never brought it up again. There's something great about that. Maybe you're here today and maybe that this is what God's kind of nudging on you. Maybe forgiveness is not a regular part of your relationships, but it needs to be. Maybe you've been broom closeting. Maybe you've just been ignoring it. Maybe, you, you know, maybe you've been running away or just letting it fester in your heart or whatever. And maybe today God is speaking to you and saying, man, there is a turnaround waiting for you in your marriage, in your relationship, in your friendships, whatever but it's gonna involve putting forgiveness right in the middle. It's gonna, it's gonna involve being willing to be the first one to step in and say, I'm sorry. I do this in, in, in marriage all the time. I made a decision a long time ago to say, I'm not gonna live like that home that I grew up in. And so I, I've said, if, if, if we're at a stalemate and nobody's willing to say they're sorry, I will. Like I will find something that I can authentically right, own and say, I'm sorry for this. I'm going to take that first step towards owning that. Would you forgive me? And when we do that, I have to say, it's like the power just gets, the anger and the power just goes down and down and down. And suddenly Tina's saying, yeah, and I'm sorry for this. Would you forgive me? I'm like, of course. And then as that happens, then I'm able to own more of my stuff, right? Then I'm able to say, okay, I was kind of a jerk. And I mean, I really, I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have done that. Would you forgive me? How our relationships and our marriages could be so much better if we would embrace forgiveness. I don't know where you're at with God today. I'm not sure what he's speaking to you or, or what's saying. Maybe you're here and if you're honest, the truth of the matter is you have, even in your relationships, you've really been living for one person, yourself. And there might be a collective gulp in the room like, Let's, this is awkward and uncomfortable. Let's not talk about that. But that's reality. Like some, sometimes we live there and maybe today, maybe God's speaking to you and saying, you know what, it's time for you to go to God first and maybe to your spouse or your significant other or whatever and say, I'm sorry, I've been living for me. And I, wanna, I want Christ to be in the center of our relationship. God, would you teach me? Spouse, would you be patient with me as I learn to follow him, as I learn to become like him, as I learn to love like him? Maybe you've never opened up your heart or life to Christ and maybe today's your day. Maybe today's the day. You just need to, to in your heart, just open, up your, uh, open yourself up and say, I need you, Jesus. I have blown it. I've made a mess of things on my own. I've been going my own way. I recognize that there is something better in life with you. So would you come? Would you forgive me for my sins? Would you come and wash those away? Would you come and save me and rescue me and lead me from this point forward? I need you. Best decision you'll ever make. If you haven't done that before, do it today. Maybe God's speaking and saying, you know what? You've made that commitment. You've made that decision in your past, but I don't really see it in your words. The things you say to your spouse or significant other have done damage. Maybe it's time, maybe today you need to go home or go over there or whatever and just say, I have done, I have spoken horrible things to you. Would you forgive me? With God's help, I want to live differently. 
Who knows? Maybe, there's, maybe your heart just needs to be moved to compassion and be filled with humility, recognizing that your spouse or boyfriend, girlfriend, whatever, has things to contribute. They are a treasure. They are made in the image of God and they matter so significantly. Maybe there just needs to be a heart change in you. I don't know what God's saying, but I'll tell you what, friends. Our God is the God of the turnaround. You can't control everybody else around you, but you can, you can do this, right? You can, you can turn yourself over to him and you can say, God, with your help, I want to follow you. I want to learn to do relationships your way. I want to learn what it looks like to, to live a Jesus-loving relationship with my spouse. Let me just close us. We're running out of time. So let me just close us in prayer. And I would just encourage you, if you are willing, if you are able, it's not for show or anything, but just to maybe even just open up your hands right now to God and just, just as a way to say, God, I surrender. I need you. Would you come and fill me and lead me and have, have your way in, this, in these relationships in my marriage and uh, in all things. Let's pray. Father, that is our cry this morning. Lord, forgive us for so often going our own way and doing our own thing and just being so self-focused and absorbed. Lord, would you forgive us? Would you cleanse us? And would you teach us how to love the way you've made us to, how to live in your grace and forgiveness, how to speak words that bring life Father, we just open ourselves to you. We and cry out, we need you, Jesus. Come and have your way. Come and rescue us. Come and lead us. Come and fill us with your spirit and your love and your peace and your grace. And then would you pour that out, God, to those around us, to those relationships that matter most. May they be characterized by you and by words that build up and by hearts with compassion, filled with compassion and humility and with the love of Jesus. We love you, God. We need you. We offer ourselves to you afresh this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.